Our first reading tonight comes from Colossians 2, uh, 9 to 15. It can be found on page 1016. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruined by the flesh, was put off when you were, circum- when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And the second reading that I'm doing comes from Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in servants to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are also being tempted. Uh, Our final um, Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 6, and you can find that on page 1009 of the Church Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert 
and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, I'm going to answer all your questions right up front. <laughs> I have fractured my ankle. Um, I'll be in this for the next six to eight weeks. Um, so I'm going to take a seat tonight and preach sitting down. Someone described me this morning a bit like a 1950s preacher who was perched on the edge of a stool. Um, I'm going to pray first. So you're going to turn back in your Bibles to uh, Colossians chapter 2. It's on page 1016. It's a great passage about victory. And I'll pray for us. Our loving Father, you are good. Everything you do is good and everything you say is good. And we, we bow humbly before you tonight asking that your good word would speak to us clearly. That you would fill our hearts and our minds with great truths from your word that you would send us here tonight empowered to live for you and to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. It was um, June 1815 when the the Battle of Waterloo happened. Uh, You had the the Duke of Wellington, he was the English one. Uh, You had Napoleon Bonaparte, he was the French guy. Uh, and up and down England, people waited with bated breath, and they would he would he win or would he lose? Would it be victory or defeat? Uh, it was a foggy night on the 18th of June, 1815, and the signal ships came in to give the result, to give the verdict. And you could just make out these two words: Wellington defeated. Wellington defeated. It was a loss. They lost. And up and down England, everyone was depressed and deflated and living in despair. Until a few hours later, the, the fog cleared. And they got the full message. It wasn't two words, it was four words. Wellington defeated the French. He'd won. It wasn't defeat, it was victory. It wasn't a tragedy, it was a triumph. And I share that story because when we think about the cross of Christ at that one moment, it is not a tragedy, it's a triumph. It's not a loss, it's a victory. Yes, there was an old wooden cross, and yes, he was blooded, and yes, he was bruised, and yes, he was beaten, and yes, he was mocked, and he was flogged, had nails through his wrists, but it was not a defeat. At that one moment, it was victory, it was triumph, it was conquest. That's our one word for today, victory. As Augustine once said, the victim was actually the victor. But because of that old wooden cross, you and I have have victory over Satan. We have victory over sin. We have victory over hatred and evil. We have victory over oppression and violence. And we have victory over that greatest enemy that we call death. 
Victory, victory, victory. And maybe you're feeling a bit awkward right now. Maybe you're thinking, I thought it was an Anglican church, not a Pentecostal church. We don't talk about victory, do we? No, we should talk about victory. Because victory is a biblical word. Now, the early Christians talked about victory. When the Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 7, thanks be to God who gives us the, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next chapter, Romans chapter 8, in all things we are more than conquerors. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in a victorious procession, a triumphal procession. See, that's the language of scriptures. In the death of Christ, at the cross of Christ, we have a triumph, we have a victory, and we are conquerors. That's why we sing about it, you know, in Christ alone. And as he stands in in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see Jesus there who made an end to all my sin. He was victorious over my sin. Got this old hymn at 8am church. It goes off every time we sing it. Onward Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. At the name of Jesus, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian shoulders, on to victory. Says, I think that the, the idea of victory is one angle of the cross, one aspect of the cross that we talk very little about. Now, the cross it is a bit like a precious diamond. Now, you see a diamond and it is precious, it is priceless, but as you look at the diamond from different angles, you spot different things. As you look at the cross from different angles, you spot different things. And I think we evangelicals, we are very good at looking at the, the legal angle. The idea of justification, the idea that God is the judge. And God as a judge has forgiven us. We are not condemned. We are not guilty in his sight. We are right in his sight. That is a wonderful truth. And we are very good at looking at the sacrificial angle. The idea that Christ is the sacrifice, that his blood covers our sins and cleanses our sins and turns away God's wrath. That's called propitiation. That's a wonderful truth. And we're good at looking at the redemption angle, the idea we've been bought back at a price. And so we're, we're not slaves, we're children of God. That's a great truth. But there's one angle of the cross that we hear very little about in church. It's this word today, victory. It's the cosmic angle. That God defeats all evil powers and God defeats Satan and God defeats death. It was 1930 when a Swedish theologian called Gustav Aulin produced a book called Christus Victor. Christ the Victor. His main point was really simple. He was not saying anything new. Victory had been the focus of Irenaeus in the 2nd century and Augustine in the 4th century and Luther in the 16th century. It is not a new thing. It's just that we in evangelical circles really talk about it. And here's the reality. If you only see the cross as justification and propitiation and redemption, then don't be surprised if you lead this very rigid, almost legalistic, bit of a mundane Christian life. 
But once you see it as victory, once you see it as victory over sin and victory over Satan, and you say, uh, Satan has no power over me. He has no accusations against me. I'm totally free and totally liberated. You can begin to live the victorious Christian life. Let's look at the victory of Christ. The victory of Christ. In so many films, it's always the same. It's in Star Wars or or the Matrix, or Marvel, or DC, or, or Disney. It's always, will love conquer over evil? So there's a great enemy in the Bible, the evil one. His name is Satan. And Satan is real. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Satan's real? And perhaps we haven't grasped the victory of the cross because... We've actually not recognized that Satan, the devil, and the evil realm, it's not on our radar. In some countries around the world today, they're always talking about evil spirits. That is not Australia. In some churches today, they're almost obsessed with the evil realm. They're driving out demons all over the place. That is not here. If anything, I think we're a bit naive. I think we're a bit almost excessively skeptical about the evil realm. But Satan is real. When did he first appear? Uh, Genesis chapter 3 in the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, remember that crafty, cunning serpent? Uh, way back in the garden, he, he caused people to, to doubt God's word and to, to, to deny God's goodness and distort God's truth and deceive God's people. Doubting God's word, denying God's goodness, distorting God's truth and deceiving God's people. And nothing has changed. That's what the devil longs to do today. Distort, doubt, deny, and deceive. He's cunning, he's crafty, he's clever. Someone described Satan as a, 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 a cross between a really good used car salesman and a really bad game show host with a lot more style and charm. And here's how he works. The devil finds your Achilles heel. He finds your weak point and he prods you and he teases you and he tempts you there. And he twists and distorts truth. But it's not just Satan. Did you know that Satan has an army of evil helpers? An army of evil beings? I mean, we read about them in the Bible all the time, but we just sort of skim over them. We've just read about it. They're called the rulers and the principalities and the powers and the authorities. It's in Romans 8, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 6, 1 Corinthians 2, Colossians 1, Colossians 2. And when the Bible talks about these principalities and powers, he is not talking about human governments. He's not talking about human rulers. He's talking about the evil realm, Satan's little minions. See, Satan is real. And right from the beginning of the Bible, we're trying to find out who is going to be the one who destroys Satan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we're looking for the one who would crush Satan's head and strike Satan's heel. So our enemy is real and he is powerful. How did Jesus describe Satan? Three times he gave him the same title. He says he calls him the, the prince of this world. John 12, John 14, John 16. Now, he's not the king, because the king is the ultimate powerful one, but he is powerful. 
He's the prince of this world. Paul calls him the God of this world or the ruler of the kingdom of the air in Ephesians 2. And whenever it talks about Satan in the Bible, it uses power language. You know, the dominion of darkness, cosmic powers, thrones and authorities. Now, of course, Satan claims to have more power than he really has, but he's still powerful. And he has a plan. What's the plan of Satan? To deceive, to destroy. You ever been involved in the conflict? We all have, haven't we? Now, when you're in a conflict, when you're face to face with the person, it is so intense. When you're in your lounge room at home, it's okay. You can, you can rationalize stuff. But when that person walks through the door and you see them face to face, it's almost like the temperature rises and the conflict intensifies. That's what happens when Jesus, the Son of God, steps into this world. Oh, oh, Satan's been there throughout the whole Old Testament, but when Jesus steps into the world, he turns up the heat. The conflict intensifies. As a baby, evil Herod is trying to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, you've got the devil taking Jesus and tempting him in the wilderness, whispering those lies and promising him those empty promises. Listen to how Acts chapter 10 verse 38 describes Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. That's the ministry of Jesus, to heal people under the power of the devil. And that's why when Jesus comes face to face with the demon-possessed people, they, they are terrified and they shudder. But this, co- this contest, this battle, it, it heats up, it intensifies as Jesus heads towards that old wooden cross. Satan is terrified of that cross. Satan will do anything he can to stop Jesus going for that cross. Now again, he uses people. I remember when Jesus has told his disciples that he's going to uh, suffer and be flogged and beaten, and then he'll die. On the third day, he'll rise again. And Jesus is best mate, Peter. Remember what Peter says? No, Lord. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. See how Satan is going to use people to try and tempt Jesus to avoid going to the cross. And at this old wooden cross, at one moment, you, you reach this climax. The, the big battle begins. It is not Mayweather versus McGregor. It's Jesus versus Satan. And here's a simple but powerful truth. At one moment, Jesus crushed Satan. At one moment, Jesus trampled on Satan. At one moment, Jesus defeated Satan. Most amazing verse is on the screen, Colossians 2, verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That is Jesus. What are the three things that Jesus did? Did you spot them? I've highlighted them for you. Number one, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He disarmed Satan and his minions. The word for disarm means that he, he strips them of their power. He strips them of their weapons. What are the weapons of Satan? Lies, deceits. 
He strips them of their, of their power. It's a bit like if you got an army here in this, in this building tonight and you strip them of their weapons. You say, give me your guns, give me your ammunition, give me your, your grenades and you remove all their power. That's what Jesus is doing at the cross. He's disarming Satan. What else does he do? He discredits Satan. He makes a public spectacle of Satan. He made an example of him. He makes him a laughingstock. It's like you've got the army here in church tonight and you've taken their, their guns, you've taken their ammunition, they've taken their grenades and then you take all their clothes and they stand here stark naked. They're a laughingstock. They are utterly, utterly powerless. So and remember that, uh, that blogger, Belle Gibson. She was that fake well-being blogger who made a mozza. And when she came out as being a fake, she was a laughingstock. That's what Jesus is doing with Satan at the cross. So at the cross, Satan is disarmed, he is discredited, and he is defeated. That's the last word. He triumphed over him. It's the victory word. The battle has been won. And Satan's the loser. When my kids play games with me, if they beat me, they've got this little, this little jingle they shout. They get this little weird L shape over their head and it is jig going, loser, 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 loser. And that's what Jesus is doing to Satan. Loser, loser, loser. He's been defeated. He's been disarmed. He has been discredited. He's a laughingstock. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says that Jesus broke the power of the devil. He broke it. He snapped it in two. He is powerless. So when you think of that cross, you think victory. So after, I often think we think of the, the resurrection as a point of victory, but at the cross he was victorious over Satan, over sin, over suffering. So how did Jesus do this? How exactly did Jesus defeat Satan? Let me ask another question. What, what, what are Satan's best weapons? He's called the tempter, isn't he? And one of his greatest weapons is temptation. Jesus resisted every single temptation. So his whole earthly life, he was tempted all the way, but he never gave in to temptation. He said no to Satan every step of the way. In the wilderness, he was tempted, he said no. Heading to the cross, he was tempted, he said no. On trial, he was tempted. You imagine Satan whispering, come on, Jesus. Speak up for yourself, defend yourself. And even as he hung there to die, they said, I mean, he saved others, but he can't save himself. What nonsense that he could have saved himself. All those temptations, at every single moment, Jesus said No. And Satan is defeated. As part of the uh, Ironman, you do an ocean swim, and part of the ocean swim is that you've got to stay on course. Uh, one of these uh, swims I was doing, I just deviated slightly by about five degrees, but after an hour of swimming, I was a pretty long way off course. We've got to make sure that Jesus did not deviate and give in even by a millimeter. If he had given the devil a foothold, a toe in the door, he would not have been unblemished. 
Jesus defeated Satan because he did not give in to temptation. What's Satan's other weapon? He's called the tempter. He's called the deceiver. How does he deceive us? It's that deceptive lie, isn't it? He dangles our sin in front of us. He dangles all our wrongs doing. He says things like, oh, Paul, I thought you were a child of God. I thought you were a Christian. Look at your lust. Look at your pride. Look at your selfishness. He gets the list of all the wrong things that we have done and he exposes them and we feel guilty and we feel the shame. That's the work of Satan. Because according to Colossians 2, Jesus has taken that written record of all the things we've done wrong and he's forgiven them all. Having cancelled the charge, verse 13. The charge of guilty, having cancelled that, all those things that stood against us and condemned us, he's taken that away. And look at verse 14, he's nailed it to the cross. As he took, took your record of wrongs and my records of wrong, and he nailed it to the cross, he's saying to Satan, you have no right to accuse. That's why we're saying, my bliss, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to that cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. So at one moment, Satan was disarmed, discredited, and utterly, utterly crushed and defeated. In fact, there was no battle, was there? That's the problem with all the analogies of, of Mayweather versus McGregor. There's no battle. It wasn't even a contest. I remember as a brand new Christian uh, 29 years ago. I went to a new church in, in Oxford, and I met the pastor about the third week, I think it was, and... Uh, he's showing my age. He said, oh, do you play squash? Remember that game, squash? It's a great game. I said, yeah, I play squash. And I actually thought I was quite good at squash. He said, oh, we should play this week. I said, oh, let's play squash this week. And so I walked up to the squash court, and it was pretty clear early on he was pretty good. And I thought, well, he's a Christian pastor. He's going to be nice to me. <laughs> there wasn't an ounce of being nice to me at all. Nine nil, nine nil, nine nil, nine nil, nine nil. I didn't even win a single point. There was no contest at all. That is Jesus on the cross. There's no contest. There is no contest. The strong man, the stronger man, has completely and utterly defeated the devil. And you've got to believe that. See, here's attention. Satan has been defeated, but he's not yet destroyed, is he? Satan has been crushed, but he's not yet condemned to hell. Satan has been overthrown, but he's not yet eliminated. And the Satan has been mortally wounded, yes, but he's still prowling around like a roaring lion. See, at that cross, the power of the devil was defeated. But the presence of the devil has yet to be destroyed. And that's the tension that we live in. That's the, the Christian tension if you want. We, we know he has no power over us, but he's still present in our lives. But we do get to enjoy the victorious Christian life, don't we? You and I get to enjoy living a victorious Christian life. See, I think in our church, often we talk about 
the hardships of being a Christian. And that is true. That is right. I mean, Jesus said, count the cost. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. It's going to be tough. You're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. All that is true. But there's another side to the story, isn't it? When you come to Christ, you've left the dominion of darkness and now you're in the kingdom of the light. And yes, he is prowling around like a roaring lion. But in Christ, we are kept safe from the evil one. I don't know about you, but I, I, I find it easier to focus on the negative, focus on my sin and focus on my temptation and forget the fact I'm part of this victory. Someone said this, I, I'm fighting, so I'm not fighting for the victory, but I am fighting because of the victory. As you battle your daily Christian life, you're not fighting for the victory, he's done the victory for you. But because he's done the victory for you, you fight to live in a way that honours him. And according to Ephesians 6, we are in a daily battle against the spiritual realm. And God in his kindness has given us the, the whole armour of God, hasn't he? What, what are a couple of the weapons that he's given us to fight? The sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? It's the word of God. Another weapon he's given is, is prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And those two weapons will help you live the victorious Christian life, you know. If you're here tonight and you are wordless and prayerless, then you are sitting duck for the Satan. But if you're prayerful and you devour the word of God, you can fight. See, in Christ, we have victory over the world. We have victory over the world. We live in the world, but the world has no power over us. And then Satan will tempt us. He'll say, look at the world, Paul. Listen to the world, Paul. Act like the world, Paul. Go on, Paul. Be true to yourself. God won't mind. God does mind. God does mind. And I say no to the world. I quote scripture, Galatians 6 verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Through the cross of Christ, the world has been crucified to me. It means nothing to me. And so I'm tempted by the world. I say, get behind me, Satan. We have victory over the world. We have victory over the flesh, over our sin. I hope you know this, you are no longer a slave to your sin. You are no longer entrapped in your sin. Oh, you experience it, of course you do. We're not sinless, we're not perfect. But please don't listen to those whispering, deceitful lies of Satan. Look at you, you're such a sinner. Yes, I am a sinner, but I'm a forgiven sinner. Please don't define yourself by any particular struggle with sin. Jesus has defeated that. He's paid the price for that. I love Romans 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and I should no longer be a slave of sin. When I'm in Christ, my old self, my sinful self has gone. I'm no longer ruled by sin. Sure, it's present, but it has no power over me. And I hope you've learned this, that you have a choice to live as a Christian. You either feed your sinful nature or you feed your spirit. Whichever you feed the most will grow the most. 
And the best way to fight Satan, to live the victorious life, is to feed your spiritual nature and to starve your sinful nature. I love the story of the girl who said when the devil came knocking, knocking with any temptation, she just sent Jesus to answer the door. When the devil came to knock with any temptation, she sent Jesus to answer the door. When that sin in your life pokes up his ugly head, say no to it. Say you're a child of God, living under the victory of Calvary. So in Christ, you have victory over the world, you have victory over your flesh, and you have victory over death. Death is unnatural, death is unpleasant, it's never okay, but you're not afraid of dying, are you? No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Listen to Romans 8. It says, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the evil ones, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. There is nothing on this earth or in death that can separate you from the love of Christ. So you've got to remember to live the victorious Christian life. Free from accusation. Free from sin. Free from Satan. Free from the fear of death. So next time Satan attacks you and belittles you and tempts you and whispers you, do not give him a foothold. Remind him that Christ has already defeated him. He's been crushed. He's been smashed. He has no power over you. And when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of your guilt within, will you look to see Jesus there who made an end to all your sin? Let me pray. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Father, thank you that the Lord Jesus was victorious. He was triumphant. He conquered Satan. He conquered sin. He conquered death. Thank you that we don't live in fear. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.